You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Oh, hey, guys, this is Joe Sinnott uh, speaking for the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Captain America, Episode 2B, covering a period of Captain America, 1969, uh, right up until the end of 1969. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Captain America host, Drew Ivers. And uh, what issues are we going to talk about today, Drew? We are looking at the second half of Volume 2, so that's issue 110 through 119. Yeah, and this is uh, the beginning. This is the entire very short Jim Steranko run, the very famous Jim Steranko run uh, that he did. He for a very short time, man. He, I can't believe he was at Marvel. He made a huge splash at Marvel in such a short time, doing so few issues. Yeah, I mean, he obviously his work on um, on Nick Fury, and then you know we. This is pretty much his last Marvel work, his last significant work. I think he did one or two more issues. Um, um, in in later in 1969 here, but uh, I think I think this is his last and some of his greatest stuff here. Yeah, you can really tell even if you go back to like the early Shield issues um, or yeah, what was he doing before this? X Men before this even like he came in with a bang. He did a, amazing work, and he also improved a great deal in this short amount of time as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you look at some of those S.H.I.E.L.D. issues that he did, the early ones, while it was groundbreaking stuff, he was definitely still kind of a little bit more Kirby-ish or Ramita kind of and and following those lines and then slowly and slowly getting to be more and more, I guess you could say, quintessential Starenko. I think he's definitely in my head. He's tied together with with the '60s and kind of the the hippie movement a little bit, and yep. sort of getting into that psychedelic um, era that you know did clash with what Stan Lee was trying to do, obviously. Um, but uh, you know, I think even in a book like Captain America, you can't help but but see some of that uh, psychedelia come in. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll definitely talk about it as we get into those issues. Uh, the other half of this book is a combination of John Romita and Gene Colan with one more Kirby issue. So we have, I just named four incredible artists, Starenko, Kirby, Romita, and Colan. Wow, in one book, in like, in half of one book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite the lineup, and I think, I think if you're going to lose Kirby, um, like we talked about in the first half of the book here, uh, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, greater replacements for him. No kidding. Wow. Okay, so last episode, I said that I we didn't have any listener comments because I forgot to ask for listener comments. Well, I have them this time, so let's just take a couple minutes here and see what people thought about this volume, the Epic Collection, Volume 2, The Coming of the Falcon. So over on uh, Instagram... A guy named Thumbs Up 1981 says the cover of this one was always hilarious to me. He's talking about the cover to the Epic Collection, which is the same as Captain America number 117. Mm-hmm. And he says, 
The way Falcon is positioned in front of the villains, along with the look on Captain America's face, looks to me like he was chasing someone and ran into a disco joint that he doesn't approve of. <laughs> yeah, his his first costume here, and you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail when yeah. we get to that issue. But um, you know, it, I, I agree with their titling of the book and with their choice of the cover here. But it, the first uh, first costume for for Sam Wilson, the Falcon with with the big necklace and disco suit, is pretty funny. <laughs> It is, and it's definitely it's interesting because it's in 1969, a sign of the times. I think the that that shift. I think you see a lot of these kind of you know disco ish influenced costume designs. I don't know what the proper term of this kind of fashion is, but you know the disco era is coming up, and it's starting to make some movements. And you see this in uh, um, in Hawkeye's costume when he turns into Goliath is a mm-hmm. similar kind of thing. And I think both of those costumes might be. They, I think they're both Gene Colan designs, maybe. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm just thankful we don't have a big. We have the big V exposing his chest, but at least we don't have like big, big collars or anything on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Let, let's save some more Falcon talk for later when we get to those issues. Uh, let's see who else is on this list here. Yun Gromer Zero says he's reading it right now and enjoying it so far. Abrahamisms says, reading it at the moment, the first half of the book really drags at time for me, which is interesting because I don't, I didn't feel like it dragged, especially comparing it to the volume that came before this. Yeah, I think that's some of Kirby's uh, greatest stuff in the first half. Yeah. Uh, he says, Kirby Lee era cap is nowhere near as exciting or dynamic as the work on Fantastic Four. Um, I might agree with that. Certain parts of Fantastic Four, because they had a, such a long run, there are definitely draggy moments in their Fantastic Four as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I think um, if you're comparing the two books, I would probably choose Fantastic Four as well, just because of the entire cast as a whole. Yeah. Um, I, I think we kind of touched on that in the first part of this uh, epic collection. Uh, Cap always suffers a little bit when it comes to the supporting cast, but when you have four main characters like the Fantastic Four, it, it really allows uh, a lot of flexibility in the stories. And it's not just the heroes, but if you think about the Captain America villains in here, we have Red Skull, we have Rand communist uh, leaders and we have the trapster and we have dr faustus but if you look at fantastic four it's like you know dr doom and the the um the the frightful four yeah galactus and you know the 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 cast the villain cast in fantastic four is way more exciting annihilus Mm -hmm. and blastar and you know, you can just go on and on and list all these amazing villains. Yeah, I think I think if you're looking for for pretty solid action and fights and uh, and kind of those the fisticuffs that uh, make up this book, I think you'll be very happy. If if you're looking for more cosmic and uh, you know more of a family book like that, where you have those those in, strong interpersonal relationships, I think Fantastic Four uh, wins pretty easily in that comparison. Yeah, I think one of the main differences in terms of the uh, the personal side of things is the Fantastic Four. I, I feel while they do, while they do touch on very deep personal issues, and especially with like Ben Grimm and his struggle with mm-hmm. the way he looks and such, uh, Captain America, this era of Captain America here in this volume really digs into the psyche of Captain America and who he is and how he thinks and how he feels. And we talked a lot about PTSD in the last one feel like that comes across a lot better here than in Fantastic Four, just uh, the depth of characters. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think I think in some parts it does ring uh, not hollow, but it doesn't. It maybe doesn't come across as effective as it can because there's a lot of a lot of thought bubbles, a lot of monologuing. Um, since it's really just Steve Rogers on his own for yeah. a lot of this, so I think I think the book suffers a little bit because of that. But as we'll see in these, especially in the Steranko issues, um, there's some pretty pretty heavy imagery, and there was a little bit in the first half of the book as well. But um, there there are some pretty strong themes of law and uh, and trauma in this book. Okay, a few more comments over on Facebook. Travis says, so excited for your covering Captain America at this time in comics. This time in comics was the building blocks to everything we have today. Love the episodes that cover the 60s and 70s. Uh, so thanks for that, Travis. I hope you enjoyed part one. Um, Austin says, a great collection, which was a turning point from Lee and Kirby with Stranko and Colin Art. Also, I always love the Captain America and Falcon friendship. I think that they are one of the definitive friends in comic history, and this run has some bumps, but just starts to get better. Uh, and then Nick says, personally, I'm not going back that far. I'm starting at volume 10, looking, for, looking forward to your thoughts. Well, Nick, I think that if volume 10 is the JMD Mateus stuff in the 80s. So I think if you like that, I actually do think you would like this book. Um, it's not too far off from like the the sensibilities this this book actually reads a lot more modern than a lot of the 1960s stuff i think i think if you're a fan enough to go back uh and read older cap which certainly you know volume 10 in the early 80s is i i don't see why you wouldn't enjoy some of this material yeah. it may not i mean it, it may depend on your tolerance in general for for silver age comics but um you know th there's a lot of quality stuff in here well, that's it for our comments. Just before we move on, I want to mention that our episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors, and you can save 10% on e any Epic collection that you buy by using the code Epic Marvel Podcast at your shopping cart. Uh, and you can save 15% uh, on Generation X Epic Collection Volume 1 uh, for the month of December. That's a December special using that same code. Okay. <laughs> Let's tackle the second half of this book here. Uh, we're going to start with issue number 110. This is the very first Stranko issue, and it's called No Longer Alone. In, in this one, Rick Jones shows up and aids Cap in a fight with the Hulk, and then he sticks around uh, to become the new Bucky Barnes, which is kind of an interesting little diversion here. Um, Rick Jones, this period for Rick Jones is kind of a wild ride because he has been a, a Hulk supporting cast member since the very beginning of the Hulk. But now he's kind of stepping away and go, he's going to kind of, you know, go on his own path, his own journey apart from the Hulk. And this is just kind of the very first stepping stone to that. And then a few issues later, we're going to see he moves on to something else. Uh, but yeah, Rick Jones shows up and kind of forces his way into Cap's life and <laughs> <laughs> becomes Bucky. Yeah, you know, Cap is having some self-reflection here, and it ties into seeing Rick in the Bucky costume. Yeah. Um, but he, he doesn't really put much of a fight. I mean, he's he's kind of realizing that he, he might need to open up a little bit and, and let that happen. Yeah. Uh, this issue... It really, really showcases Stranko's art. It's basically just two big battles. Um, that's mm -hmm. kind of composed. That's why my my recap was so short, because there's one battle at the beginning with the Hulk, and then they switch gears, and then they go and then uh, have one battle with Hydra, and it's just a big slugfest. It's very exciting. 
not a whole lot of character development or anything like that. That's coming up in another issue, but this one is just kind of wall-to-wall action. Yeah, I think I think um, the price of the book is worth it just for these three Sterenko issues alone. And I really like, which we'll get to, obviously, the, the Kirby issue that kind of splits them up. I think for those four issues, um, if that's all that was in this book, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, it's, it's This one especially, just the, the coloring, um, getting, getting to see the Sterenko Hulk, um, even though it's a brief fight and he doesn't really interact with Captain America too much, but yeah. it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous issue all around. And uh, we, we get to see um, the first appearance of Madam Hydra here. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Madam Hydra makes her first appearance. Uh, very, very striking. Now, uh, we got to talk about this artwork because there is just so much incredible stuff here. And while we have to give credit to Kirby for defining a lot of how people attack comics these days when they draw, um, maybe not these days, I think actually a more influence is taken from the stuff that Steranko does here. And if you flip back through the first half of this book and look at any page, you can see Kirby stays very, very rigid with his panel yes. layouts. He he sticks to, um, you know, a six-block grid or four-block four grid or something like that, and he never has overlapping panels or, or panels that are, are diagonal or anything like that. And then right off the bat, we have... Um, it's on the third page, the third page of this story, which is page 255 in the Epic Collection, we get two huge panels, one with the Hulk at the top and another one with Captain America running at us at the bottom, and then three inset panels that are kind of talking, uh, that show us a little bit of stuff that happens before we see Captain America in his in his costume. That there, something that never Kirby never does. And then uh, if you flip back to the page before this, the, you have, we have three tiers of panels, and the middle tier is made up of one, two, three, four, five panels. Each one, it's a, it's, it's Captain America or Steve Rogers in blue, and each panel is getting closer and closer and closer to his eye. A very cinematic, like the camera is moving in closer and closer. Again, something Kirby would never think of doing. Yeah, there's it's it, it's obviously a very different book from the outset, and I think I I don't know if if uh, someone like Will Eisner influenced Steranko directly, but I, you know there's a lot of um, a lot of him in here I think in in the oh, yeah. the DNA of not only the the panel layout but just the fluidity of the, the characters. I, I think I think Steranko does a really good job with the fight scenes and the the motion lines here and kind of breaking up that rigidity um especially with with the weapons and cap shield um just kind of bouncing all over the place it's really it's really an exciting read it is yeah i think you're spot on with the 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 uh the will eisner influence the very first page of this story the top row of panels where it's mm-hmm. got this noir um, back alley, New York, like gritty, like that's pure Will Eisner. But then also the person in a shadow walking towards us in these multiple panels, very, very reminiscent of something you'd see in the spirit. Yeah. And even just something little like um, like the title of the issue kind of being graffiti on the the brick yeah, wall there totally. instead of, you know, big, big orange and red letters uh, like uh, Kirby and Lee would do. Yeah. It, it just gives a totally different vibe for the book. Now, I know that uh, none of the colorists are credited in this book. This was an era when colorists didn't actually, they weren't actually known. Uh, 
Steranko did a lot of coloring, and I don't actually know if he colored these issues or not. I probably should have Googled that to see, uh, but it's it looks like it could be him. Yeah, I, sh I show him. Um, I showed him as creditor uh, on on the three issues in here, um, just based on uh, comic book database. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. He, uh, it, yeah, it really is his style with the. It's beautiful. The very, um, very bright. Like there's there's times when the characters are completely magenta and. You know his his it's way more bright than what we saw before. Even though the other ones use a lot of like you know really bright yellow in the in the Kirby issues, these ones just had a different flavor for it. It's it's just a, a different sensibility, and it's you can tell that it's a completely different person coloring this. Yeah, he's definitely not afraid to. I mean, like on page two fifty six, he you know you have the Hulk at the top panel page yeah. four of the story who's obviously green but then right below that all of the army soldiers have green uh flesh color as well right yeah. um and captain america is blue quite a few times through the issue here so and i, I believe madam hydra is you know green throughout his few issues uh so he's definitely not afraid to to take some risks here I think that he, he, it seems to me like he understands how to use color to bring about depth more than whoever was coloring the, the Kirby issues. Because while the Kirby issues are fine and there's nothing wrong with the coloring, he just doesn't go, they don't go out of their way to, 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 uh, to add to the, the, the depth of, of the scene. So I want to show you, let's see, on page 261, which is page 9 of this story, the very top row where Captain America ha is looking at um, at Rick Jones, who's who's injured and laying on the couch there or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Rick is in this kind of a dark purple hue. And it really shows us that he's kind of forward and in the shadow. But it really frames all of the action, um, especially since the purple hue kind of goes up the lamp on the right side and the, the back like the upper wall that goes over top of the panels at the top there is sort of a purpley brown color. It really draws the focus of Captain America and as he's walking across the, the stretch of panels into the doorway. Yeah, it's it's that four panel sequence is pretty um, pretty nice to look at, and you know the one on the page prior where uh, Cap is staring intently at, at Rick, and they're both this beautiful shade of blue as well. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. your 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 eye is just drawn a lot more to to these pages than some of the preceding issues. And then if you switch over to page two sixty three, which is page eleven of the story. And you look at this page here, it's like there's there's the top row, but Captain America's face or Steve Rogers' face is so close up that it's almost a panel of its own. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have a second skinny panel and you have then below that you have a block of panels where one of the tiers on the right hand column is four tiny, tiny panels. <laughs> That's that you. This is something you you don't usually see in this era of comics. Is panels that small? I, I kind of like that sequence. I, I just remember reading that for the first time and kind of almost feeling claustrophobic as they go into the the uh, manhole, the sewer there. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was the intent, but it did. It, uh, the verticality of those tiny panels certainly felt that way to me. Yeah, and then the panel below it. Uh, when they're in the sewer and you have um, you have a really, really small Rick Jones and he's kind of the focal point and you can t you can feel the claustrophobia and Steranko really plays with that here too because he puts Cap in the foreground um, in the corner, which adds part of the frame to kind of block your view of what uh, what's surrounding Rick Jones. And then he, you have a part of the 
the sewer, the brick, the black and kind of grayish brick that's coming up the other side, it all adds, uh, and then you have the pipes and everything and the water rising, it all adds to make it seem like the space is filling up really quickly with a, just all of this stuff. Right before the, the surprise on the next page, that's for sure. Oh, man. And then, they, yeah, the double page spread. Another is just a brilliant page as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, we could we could talk the entire hour and a half here about the artwork in these panels, but uh, I think um, I think we better keep on going. Otherwise, <laughs> we'll be here forever. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about this issue? Um, no, I, I just, you know, I, I do like the design of Madame Hydra. I, I think she's always been a compelling villain for me. Um, something you don't really see a lot in, in the 60s, um, having kind of the, the female villain like that, the femme fatale. Um, yeah. And I, I think it really suits the book. Kind of get it going to like a James Bond, um, Bond, you know, the evil Bond girl kind of feel. Right. Yeah. And it's something we haven't seen in Captain America yet. All of his villains tend to be the very typical um, peak human phys physical male characters like mm -hmm. Batroc and, you know, that kind of thing. So it adds a different flair to uh, the, the, the type of fight that he's fighting. Um, so Captain America issue 111 is called Tomorrow You Live, Tonight I Die. And uh, Cap foils an assassination, assassination attempt by Hydra and um, helps Rick train as his new Bucky. Uh, but later... Rick is drugged, has a slight hallucination, and gets captured. Uh, Cap goes on a rampage trying to find Rick and faces off a robot assassin named the Man Killer. And uh, while he's cornered, uh, Cap seemingly dives into a storm of bullets, and uh, it looks like he gets killed as his costume and what looks like a Steve Rogers mask floats up to shore. Yeah, okay, so... Man, we're going to talk so much about the artwork in this one as well. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite pages of Marvel Comics is actually this first page of this issue here, of the Penny Arcade. And it just mm -hmm. is random shots of a Penny Arcade. But if you think about, like, let's think about um, a movie that's like at the very beginning of a movie, especially one made in the 70s or something like that. And all of the opening credits are at the beginning. And it's a montage of just different shots of the city or something like that interspersed with the titles. That's what this is. That's what they're trying to, that's what I think Stranko is trying to accomplish right here. He's showing off all of these different little scenes and the coloring is great because they're all, each panel has its own monochromatic uh, color pattern, uh, color guide. And what I also love about this is there's no one way to read this page. All of the panels are arranged specifically so that they, there's no order to them. Because typically, when you read a comic, you check to see, and a lot of people do this subconsciously, you check to see where is the uh, where is the, the gutter line that goes all the way through one side to the next, and that kind of determines one tier of panels. But there is no point in this where there is a through line from one side of the page all the way to the next. And same with top to bottom. There's no top to bottom. So there are no actual rows and there are no actual columns in this page at all. You can, it's, it's very, very well thought out to show you that it's like this is just all happening all at the same time. And it's extremely effective because you have, so it, it, obviously it's an arcade. And like yep. you said, it's, it's kind of cinematic. And there's probably dozens of movies from this era that start out this way, you know, usually in New York City. Yeah. But every shot, there's, there's an element of danger or, or menace. Um, there's, there's the knife, there's guns, there's targets, there's uh, someone shooting, there's a menacing gypsy uh, fortune teller 
smaller machine. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 great establishment of this this environment and the danger here. And then my one of my favorite parts of this page is the one panel at the bottom that says your fortune is told on this card. Mm-hmm. And there's an arrow pointing down. So this, I think also subconsciously, when you look at this, you're drawn to that arrow and you're drawn, your eye is drawn to the card and the hand. And then you flip over to the to the right and there's the card that says, tomorrow you live, tonight I die. And it's the only panel on this page that is normal colored. Like, you know, the, the, the hand has an actual flesh tone mm-hmm. and the background is against some sort of gray metal. So that is our doorway. Now it's like the segue into the issue or into the movie. Now the credits are done. We're on to the movie part. So it's just, it feels like we're watching a movie while we read this book. I love it. Yeah, and we get right into the action. I mean, we have the the gypsy fortune teller machine um, as part trap. of the trap. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, and just kind of all the things that we subconsciously saw or, or noticed in that first page, the first sequence, um, kind of come into play here with the guns and cap shield looks like a target like we saw in the in the first page yeah. and uh it's just just a lot of beautiful setup here to to pay off in in a, an action scene it is it's, it's really really great and it starts off with a bang and then we're taken into a scene with madame hydra and this is on page five of this issue page 279 in this book this this one panel with with Madame Hydra, with the the Hydra symbol behind her and the, the, the smoke rising from the torches. What I like about Starenko is that he's actually not afraid of negative space, of mm-hmm. leaving negative space. And this is another example of that. And also the cover to this issue, there's a lot of white. And it's it's on purpose. It's on purpose so that uh, we are... We are drawn to um, Captain America lifting up his shield. Uh, if you look at any of Kirby's uh, covers in this in this book, Kirby crams every corner of every page, every cover especially, with just stuff. The, <laughs> his uh, and and you know he's good at it, and his compositions are are really really great. But he wastes no space. There's always like it, the way that his body his bodies are posed are posed in a way that will actually fill most of the page um the example i want to give of this is um let's see if I, I can't remember which issue number it is it's the one where captain america is fighting his clone let's see if i find that here and even throughout the book throughout kirby's uh art in the inside the book you don't really ever see any white except for the the speech bubbles i mean if there's nothing in the background, it's usually a solid color, like a yellow or green or something, or sky blue. Right. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot more room to breathe when you are okay with the negative space like Starenko is. Okay, it's 106. The, the cover to issue 106. If you look at the way that Captain America is posed here, where one foot goes all the way down to the bottom left corner and the other foot goes to the bottom right corner... And like his body, his arm swings around and his shield is at the top. And then the the fake Steve Rogers takes up all of the rest of the space. Like it is so, so full. Mm -hmm. And then you, a stark contrast to issue 111 that we're looking at now with the Steranko cover with so much white, but uh, it works. I I mean, they both work in their own way, um, but they're just a different approach to, to design. And what do you think of this psychedelic scene that's in this one on page nine and 10? Uh, I forgot I was going to check my original issue to see if these pages are actually back to back or if they are facing each other. I think it's pretty pretty terrifying. I mean, it, it's uh, 
I'm not going to speculate on what what drugs uh, Mr. Starenko did or didn't do or <laughs> yeah. what if he was under the influence of anything um, or just, you know, that's the, that's the way his mind works. But um, I have to imagine that the 60s psychedelia and the the acid uh, era that we were kind of going into as as a country or as a world um, had an influence on this because this is some pretty intense imagery here. I love it. I think it's so great because in this first page we see, uh, we see, uh, we see. Um, what's his name? I keep, I keep wanting to call him Bucky, but it's um, it's Rick. We see mm-hmm. Rick. He's running what seems like an endless journey, and I think this shows. This is talking about like his path leaving the Hulk. He doesn't know where he's going, and so he's just kind of on a um, a mindless quest while um, all the world is watching him. He's got these big eyes that are, are all around him. And I think you can almost skip the the words on this page. I, I think they're kind of redundant. I don't know if that's just for some of, maybe some of the younger readers at the time, but um, they're, they're essentially saying the same thing that you can see here. Um, and I think it would probably work better without, without the text on it. Yeah, I... <laughs> I mean, that, that's probably Stan. He likes to make sure that mm-hmm. his words are on all the pages. But uh, you're right; they they are just kind of telling us what we already know. But that yeah, the second page with the 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 faces that are different colors that are coming down to this this last face that, mm-hmm. uh, as Rick is falling, he's tearing the face off of it, and there's a skull, and it's melting and it's exploding. There's definitely some. Uh, uh, Holocaust or like nuclear bomb uh, illusions there. That's probably relating to the gamma bomb that created the Hulk in issue number one of the Hulk. I'm familiar familiar with Rick Jones. Um, you know, obviously he's he's quite uh, a large part of many of the early Marvel books. I don't really know on a on a personal level what he deals with, but I, I have to imagine this is relatively new for the character um, at this time, and probably hasn't gone into been been uh, explored much up until this point. Throughout his time on the Hulk, he is very down on himself because. Mm-hmm. He feels responsible for, you know, because it was his life that was being saved. So he feels responsible for the state that Bruce Banner is in. Um, but he's always kind of been a chipper guy. He had his teen brigade that, that helped him out. And and he helped the Avengers and the, those early issues and such. But yeah, you can see through this one, especially now, I don't know if this is Starenko making this change or if this is Lee making this change, but uh, but yeah, Rick Jones definitely is trying to figure out himself out and he's questioning his, he's questioning his whole life. He's ch- questioning his purpose and it's coming out in this, in this dream sequence as well. It's like he's, he's got no point. He's wondering what, uh, what he should be doing. Yeah, I kind of, I, you definitely feel bad for him. I mean, it's only really an issue and a half in here to uh, his his career as Bucky, and he's already got kind of a, a complex going on. Yeah. Um, you know, Cap is not doing the best job uh, making him feel welcome or, or uh, happy to be a sidekick. So the coloring remains to be uh, very, very interesting in this one. I love it. If you go over to page 288, which is page 14 in the story, the first panel he had we have um, a person in kind of a tan color with some really nice white highlights but uh, but that's to bring the focus on cap who's actually in the rear view mirror mm-hmm. of a car and so his his colors are a little f- faded there um, and in this middle tier we have a yellow panel we have an orange panel we have a black and white panel we have a blue panel 
uh, all all kind of trying to evoke a certain mood. Um, like the yellow panel, the thug that he's fighting is green. So, I mean, there's supposed to be some excitement there. And then uh, and then this orange panel showing, I, I believe it's a, um, the, the unconscious body of Rick Jones. Uh, so it's a muted color because he's unconscious. And then bla black and white, like you'd think that maybe he even forgot to color this, but I'm pretty sure it's intentional. Like this could, because this um, cab driver here or whoever, whoever he is, is scared. Like all the color is mm -hmm. drained out of him. So all the color is drained out of this panel. It's just brilliant thinking. It's just... Uh, something that I think if this was any other colorist, they would have just kind of colored it normal, like just with regular skin tones and whatnot. It really keeps you on your toes. I mean, it, it's really fun to read because even on the next page here, um, on page 15 of the story, Madam Hydra is totally in in shadow and in, in relief uh, in the middle section. And yeah. then on the bottom, she's not quite black and white, but... Uh, certainly start coloring there very very cool stuff yeah and i really like the intensity of the the chase scene here i i just having uh captain america throw himself into the search for rick and the the enemy uh the what's he called the man killer is, the man -killer. is pretty forgettable i think but um but throughout the whole chase suite sequence or fight sequence i i was pretty caught up in it yeah, it's it's really well done, and then and it's and it's short, but it doesn't feel short. It feels like they get a lot accomplished in these like three pages of or three and a half pages or so, and then once we get to the end, there's a Captain America has a, a fake face. So Steve Rogers, of course, we know because of hindsight, we know that Steve Rogers is definitely Captain America. But at this point, Steve Rogers wants to shed his secret identity. So he made a false mask that looks like his face, dropped it in the water so that the, everybody believes that Steve Rogers isn't actually Captain America. Yeah, and I think I think my biggest complaints with this half of the book have to deal with with this section or that part of it, um, and as well as in the the later story with the Red Skull, um, which we'll re we'll get into. But it, I I don't know. I just I didn't really quite ever buy into the viability of that plan or <laughs> the way that Steve carries it out. So it, it's a nice idea, and I think I think in a looking at it from a more modern context, um, you know, I think they're trying to set up. A, a new sidekick for Captain America, a, a new secret identity, and they're trying to do some of these world-building things for the book, um, but they don't really quite pan out. And I, I don't know if that's because of Stranko leaving or um, or just the way that they were handled, but it doesn't always quite work for me. It's also interesting that they happen as soon as Kirby leaves. So I wonder, mm -hmm. you know, it's always a question how much influence did Kirby have on the actual storytelling and, and coming up with the plots and stuff. And right as soon as Kirby leaves, like we don't see Agent 13 anymore. Uh, and we don't, and all of a sudden we have a new partner. We're bringing back Bucky, which is maybe something that Jack didn't want to do. I don't know. Um, and then also the, the whole secret identity thing, which, you know, Steve Rogers having a public identity was is kind of the only hero, I guess, other than the Fantastic Four, uh, the only hero in the Marvel Universe that uh, was able to do that. And so now they're now Stan Lee is maybe trying to take that away. Yeah, it it, it just I don't know that it's it's needed in the book. Um, and I think I think there's some mechanical issues with it. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know if yeah maybe maybe um Kirby just want, was holding back and didn't want a sidekick or didn't want Bucky back. Yeah, certainly certainly the loss of Bucky um, was a driving force in Kirby's run, and yeah. and uh, we saw a lot of the the anguish over that. 
Let's keep on going over to issue number 112. This is a Jack Kirby issue. This is his last issue uh, before he leaves Marvel. It's called Lest We Forget. And this is this whole issue is just kind of a retrospective. Uh, now that everyone believes Captain America is dead, Tony Stark gets the word and he kind of takes us through this issue as he remembers the life of Captain America. Um, and so we get scene after scene of kind of these memorable moments throughout Captain America's history. And we're not just talking about mo the modern or current Marvel history, but we're also talking about the original Captain America history going all the way back uh, to the 40s. So mm -hmm. on page uh, 301, which is page six of this story, we got a montage of all of these Golden Age Captain America characters. In the top there, there's the butterfly. And I had to look these up. The butterfly is from Captain America Comics number three from 1941. There's the ringmaster and the circus of crime. They originally appeared in Captain America Comics number five. And then in this little middle strip here, that's the Unholy Legion of Beggars. <laughs> and uh, they're from Captain America Comics number four. And then the bottom is the White Death from Captain America Comics number nine. And then in the bottom right corner, the Toad Man uh, from Captain America Comics number seven. Although I think he's just called the Toad in that issue. But yeah, so we get that. We get, uh, do you have anything you want to say about these this, these characters here? No, I, I think it's a great callback for fans, and obviously Kirby, uh, you know, being involved with um, the original book with Joe Simon um, would be the perfect person to, to toss all these guys in here. Yeah, and then from here we get the scenes of, you know, Baron Zemo with his plan to kill Bucky, or this plan that killed Bucky. It wasn't really intentional, but, and then Namor finding him in the ice, So we get another little bit of a, an origin story of him coming back and joining S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, Kirby worked on that book as well. Um, he worked on Avengers. We have the Sleeper, and then we get finally at the very end of this issue, we get a little rundown of all of the most recent characters that we've seen, including Batroc, the Tumbler, the Swordsman, the Living Laser, um, the Exiles. Even mm -hmm. Doctor Faustus is here, uh, taking a punch at Captain America, which he never does in the issue that that we <laughs> did in the last episode. Um, strangely enough, it doesn't talk at all about Rick Jones becoming Bucky or the Steranko issues that came before this. It is literally just um, Kirby stuff. This is basically not just a, a farewell that Tony Stark is doing to to for Steve Rogers, but it's Tony Stark saying farewell to Jack Kirby for all that he's done, dating all the way back to 1941. Yeah, it, I love this issue. I mean, it's I, I don't know if, if fans were kind of eager to get on with the Steranko story back when this came out, but it's every everything is beautiful in this issue in terms of I think I think this is probably the the biggest panel. Um, panel size that we've seen Kirby do throughout. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of four four panel pages, a lot of uh, one panel or one page splashes, yeah. and um, it just every every inch is just amazing to look at here. And there's even one page. It's the one with all the Golden Age characters, where the page is broken up not by straight panels. <laughs> Kirby's doing something different here on his very very last issue. <laughs> And I wonder, you know, I have to wonder if this was the original intent for this issue. Um, you know, we get the the framing uh, with with the mask and everything, um, and and Iron Man. But you know, I I wonder how how much of this was planned ahead, um, and how much yeah. they they kind of just wanted a, a nice fill in here. I actually kind of think that uh, Strenka was behind, and this mm -hmm. is this is kind of a fill in issue. 
that Kirby did. A lot of times when you get these fill-in issues and the panels are big, it's because the big ones are easier to do faster. Mm -hmm. And so that's why there's so many splash pages. And it's basically a clips episode. You know, you you get in, in a TV series, if they're behind schedule, they'll be like... They'll throw in an episode where it's like, oh, let's remember all of the best moments of the past season or something like that. And that's essentially what this is. Like, There's no furthering on in the story. It's not its own story. So it's not an inventory story. It's basically just let's throw this in here. But it works well on so many levels, despite it being a, kind of a fill-in issue. Yeah, and I, I love the the title or whatever they call it here. The, they call it an album issue on the cover. They yep. call it a souvenir issue um, in Stan's little uh, justification for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. it is, the developments have been so shocking. We have to present this souvenir issue. Um, yeah, and I, I like it a lot. I I, I do uh, when I when I read through these again, I did put this at the end. I, I wanted to read through the three Stranko issues um, as a sequence, oh, okay. but I think I think uh, I think it's you can't go wrong with more Kirby and you can't go wrong with some of these iconic uh, moments that he's, he's recapping himself. Yeah. Remembering himself. (laughs) And then we, yeah. And it's just serves for us to say goodbye to Kirby. And this is the last we're going to see of him on Captain America until he comes back in the seventies. Mm hmm. Well, let's keep on going over to issue number 113. Yeah, Captain America 113 is called The Strange Death of Captain America. Um, We hear some of Madame Hydra's past and background as... Rick Jones and the Avengers mourn Captain America until a trap is sprung and they are captured by Hydra. Um, And all of a sudden, when all hope looks lost, Captain America suddenly appears to battle the hordes of Hydra. And along with Rick Jones and his help, um, they stop Madame Hydra and Cap reveals that his plan was to give himself a secret identity all along. Yeah, another really, really excellent issue. Uh, Man, I just look at these first four pages. Mm Mm-hmm. And how much how much Stranko didn't color in this, but on purpose, and how striking it looks. Like he uses the green monochromatic uh, color palette to great great effect in this she in this Hydra base wherever wherever this is with Madame Hydra it looks it looks amazing. It it almost makes me disappointed in the cover because the cover is okay. I I don't think it's. I think you open the book though, and you see these these pages, and they're they're much more striking than. Then the cover lets on. Um, I, I think this is probably my least favorite of the the Stranko covers. But yeah, just just Madame Hydra's background here um, is is intense to look at. It's the flames and just yeah. the, the the green and the white. It's uh, it's it's beautiful. Here's another character, kind of like Doctor Doom, who has a scarred face, mm-hmm. uh, and that is kind of her motivation to to being the villain that she is. And this, the scar is a constant reminder of her violent upbringing, the the, the trauma and the abuse that she's faced in the past. Um, and so she is going to make people pay for it, and she's risen to power. So yeah, very compelling character and a lot more, um, I think, a lot more interesting than even we get from the Red Skull. Yeah, um, I think I think there's, uh, I don't know that a scarred face is, is a lot of motivation, but I, I did really find her... <laughs> Her struggle for survival, uh, kind of being on her own, and her her climb to the top here, uh, pretty compelling. Yeah, I mean, the scarred face is is not. It's just it's every time she looks in the mirror, she's reminded of her mm-hmm. past and the injustice that's been done to her. So, I mean, that's I think that's kind of a it's a 
I guess, a shorthand so that we can see because she always has her hair covering up that side of her face. So it's part of her visual design that she has a traumatic past. So in your opinion, in the middle of the book here, I, I almost feel like there was a, a drop off in some of the art um, in some of the sequences here with the Avengers. Some of the, the line work doesn't look as as clean as we're used to, I guess. Yeah, um, you're talking about like the... Um... Uh, the 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 funeral scene. Yeah, the funeral scene and going into going into the the graveyard. Um, it, it just it just looks a little rushed. I would say I don't know if that's the case, but um, I feel like those first four pages with Madame Hydra are a great continuation from Stranko's first two issues, and then there is a little bit of a drop off here. Yeah. Now I don't know. I haven't been reading up on on the background of these issues at all, so I don't know, but probably been noted somewhere i think that stranko himself may have inked these first few pages and then the rest of them are tom palmer who is great but this is kind of early in his career so maybe he hasn't quite found his footing so once we get to the avengers pages and those the, the pages with the funeral you're right it, it's a it's it's very different it's not at all what we had before uh, and so this is those are probably the Tom Palmer pages. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It just it just doesn't quite mesh with um, with what, we what we've before. seen from Stranko. Well, it also didn't help that the person who was inking Stranko in those other issues was Joe Sinnott. And like, mm-hmm. there you go. One of the top inkers there. Uh, that's going to say something for sure. Um, I, I did like the tribute from the Avengers from, from Nick Fury um, mm-hmm. and and going in going into Cap's reappearance, um, you know, it, well, I kind of came out of nowhere. The, the <laughs> really splash did. pages are just are just so exciting and, and nice to look at. Yeah, it really did come out of nowhere. It's like there wasn't even a hint that Captain America was nearby or watching mm-hmm. or anything, and he just comes right out of the blue. All this, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. Obviously, we knew he wasn't gone. Yeah, um, yeah. And it would have been nice to have some sort of inkling or or early appearance from him. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden, there's this huge, on page 328, 329, there's this great two-page two spread. But uh, it's just, yep, there he is. He's, he's uh, back in there and kicking butt while Nick Fury gets lowered into his grave. <laughs> yeah. There's there are two double page spreads in this one issue, which is pretty amazing. Um I mean the other one isn't really a double page spread. It's but it's the huge page of Captain America on one side and Rick Jones on the other side kind of leaping from an explosion. Mm-hmm. Um I you could kind of call that a, a double page spread, but I like how it's mirrored. All of the the panels on either side are mirrored. Um, another really, really cool design choice. And page 331, uh, 15 of the story is, is probably one of my favorite Captain America pages ever. Uh, Um, just such a great, great iconic image there. And there's some Eisner influence here, placing all of the words at the top there and Mm -hmm. taking good use of, of the, uh, again, of the negative space around with the, the moon. Uh, yeah, just bang up job from Stranko. Really, really nice stuff. In terms of the the secret identity stuff, they kind of, uh, I guess, I guess I don't know. It, it does the plan doesn't ever really make sense to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, at the very last line here is Captain America has a secret identity once more. Um, but his whole his whole supposition is that they won't quite know who is under the mask. Right. Um, it doesn't really get rid of the problem of people knowing who Steve Rogers is, as we'll see. But um, but I think they're yeah. I mean, I think his plan was to make people think that R- Steve Rogers wasn't actually a real person. Mm. 
it was just a, a fake a fake identity. And so when they saw the the mask, the fake mask, it was like, oh, okay, I guess Steve Rogers wasn't really a person. He must be somebody else. So he inflated a rubberized figure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, we can keep on going over to issue number 114, The Man Behind the Mask. Um, so here's Sharon Carter. We do get to see her again here, but uh, she is wrought with grief over Captain America's death. She does not know that he is back. Uh, and this causes her to kind of act really brash. She takes on AIM all by herself uh, when Nick Fury tells her not to, but she just goes on and does it because she just needs to feel alive or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so Cap and Bucky race to help her and get caught up in all of the the goings on with this giant robot that has like pointy hands. The walking stiletto, yeah. The walking stiletto, that's right. A <laughs> <laughs> great name for a great great robot. Uh, and this one is drawn by John Romita. And in one of the episodes, um, in my Spider Man episode three A, this is the it, we talk about Romita because that's when he takes over after Ditko. And he does his best to kind of mimic Ditko's style so that there is not much, as much of a huge continuity um, gap between artists. And he does the same thing when he does some issues of, um, of Avengers as well. Uh, and then he does it here too, because I really, really feel like he's trying to do a lot of things that, that Jim Sterenko would do in terms of... Just his, you know, if you go to page 347, just the fact that there's a lot of white space on that one panel. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the poses that he would do are uh, like on page 349, uh, which is um, page 11 in this in this one. Captain America with his big boots swinging out, out of the panel there is a very Jim Steranko kind of a, a pose. And I feel like he's trying to mimic Strankel a little bit to ease us into the issues that he is now going to do here. And I don't know who the who the color is on this one. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some faces that aren't, uh, you know, flesh colored. There's some, um, like page 345, you see Sharon in, in, in blue. Um, and you see her on in page 348 in yellow. So there, yeah. there's still some of that, that dynamic there. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, I would say it's a good blend of Kirby and Steranko. I think, yep. I think Romita is obviously trying to, to make it flow a little better, but some of, yeah, some of the faces I would, I would almost think they're Kirby, like on page 355 towards the end of the issue, definitely some, some Kirby-esque poses there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, this is this one is embellished by uh, Sal Buscema, who's uh, okay. fairly new in his career, I think, at this point in 1969. So yeah, I, I thought it was funny that no one thought to tell Sharon <laughs> anything <laughs> about Steve's plan, um, and it kind of uh, backfired on them. So she uh, she just kind of stormed in there. Yeah. That seems to be how Shield operates, though, as we found out in the first half of this book as well. Yeah, they, they have a habit of sending Sharon off and not being able to reach her. Or um, or just not telling the plan to everybody. Yeah, she went off to Wakanda or whatever, and um, it just, <laughs> she uh, she gets herself into trouble here. Yeah, and, and I don't know about the walking stiletto, kind of a similar robot to, uh, the, man, to the man killer. The man killer. <laughs> yeah, um, just kind of an excuse to, to see uh, Cap punch some things. But. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, as far as the the secret, I, I I probably keep harping on it. I should I shouldn't harp on it so much. But the secret identity stuff, where he <laughs> he, he seems to have problems like getting a hotel room or yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, getting any sort of, you don't have luggage. You can't stay here. Who are you? It just seems like he has no, no life whatsoever. Um, no help in his life, which, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's how shield operates, but, uh, it's kind of sad. Yeah. They just, they didn't help him out at all, but I mean, I think he kind of went rogue on this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, if you're not going to follow the rules, then you're on your own kind of a thing, but even the Avengers didn't help him out as well. I mean, Panther blatantly says, I know exactly that is the way that Captain America walks. I can tell. So that's definitely Mm -hmm. Captain America. But they're not they're not rushing out to to help him. They're like, no, no, he's gonna do this on he's got to do this on his own. Yeah, you'd think he'd have a, a place to stay stay there, but um, he he gives his last ten dollars at a, a CD side street hotel, yeah. as a, as they put it. So, luckily, the Red Skull comes along in the last page to uh to get him out of there. <laughs> Red Skull to the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so speaking of the Red Skull in Captain America 115, uh, titled Now Begins the Nightmare, um, we see the Red Skull toying with a captured Captain America as he uh, tells his story of recovering the Cosmic Cube. Um, Rick searches for Cap as the Skull transports him around, and uh, eventually the Skull summons Sharon Carter right after the two switch bodies. And this was illustrated by John Buscema. I forgot that Romita didn't do both of these issues. One was John... John Romita, the other was John Buscema, so another big name uh, contributing artwork to this this volume here, and this one is embellished by our pal Sal Buscema, so we get the the dynamic Buscema duo here, uh, and this one is this one was good. I I actually I really enjoy body swapping um, stories, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so once we get to that kind of climax at the end here, I think it's. It, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm all in for this. But the lead up to it as well is fantastic. How the, how the how Red Skull uses the Cosmic Cube in a way that we haven't really seen yet, because we've seen the the Cosmic Cube already before. Um, but this one is like, he's placing he's placing Captain America in all of these really trippy uh, uh, universes or dimensions, and he's like he's shrinking them, and you don't know if it's like in his mind or if the cube is actually changing his body proportions or the size of the room or. You know, it, it's a uh, it's pretty cool this whole sequence. Yeah, he's he's definitely putting the cosmic and cosmic cube, and it's it, the the overarching plot feels like a, a continuation of what we saw in the the Kirby run in the first half of the book. But there are some definite '60s psychedelia influences, maybe Steranko influences here. Um, the on page three seventy seven, uh, page eighteen in the story, the sequence there at the bottom with the the cap heads kind of yeah, right out of going Steranko. back to normal size. Yeah, and then the the way Sharon Carter is shaded in that smoke coming out of his eyes, um, just some really cool imagery there. Totally, yeah, yeah. I think that there's there's definitely some Steranko influence, and and I think that's you're gonna see that in any of the books that Marvel was producing around this time because those those gym issues they they made such a splash that all the artists were like. How can I get some of that in in my book here? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's something something unique for we saw him get we saw Captain America age and uh, and get old, but I think the the switch here, as we'll see in the next couple of issues, puts him into some unique predicaments that kind of tests his uh, his intelligence more than anything. Yeah, um, we get a cameo appearance from the Teen Brigade, whom we haven't seen for a very long time. Um, I. 
they their appearances get fewer and fewer as the years go by. Yeah, and poor Rick is just kind of forgotten in these last uh, last few issues here in the second part of uh, yep. the second half here as as we move on to to another sidekick eventually. But um, he's just kind of agonizing over over the disappearance of Cap, and he's um, you know saying why why am I being ignored basically, and it's pretty sad. It makes me wonder if if Rick Jones really was Jim's idea, and then once Jim left, like nobody, I, I, because we have such a rotating cast of artists here, I have to imagine that Stan Lee was definitely the the guy behind everything mm-hmm. that was going on in these stories. But yeah, he wrote Rick out pretty quick. And is it the next issue? I think that maybe Rick is Rick's last one. I think it is. Yeah. So issue number one sixteen is called Far Worse Than Death. And this is the one where Captain America and Red Skull have fully exchanged bodies here. And Cap is pretending, or Red Skull is, you know, he's pretending to be Captain America and making his escape while the Red Skull, who is actually Captain America, is being hunted by the police. There's a great car chase scene, which I feel like car chase scenes are hard to do in comics because Mm -hmm. you don't get that real sense of motion. But uh, Gene Colan, who's the illustrator for this issue, does a really, really great job with his motion lines and following the action so that we get a very, very, actually, I think, really well done car chase scene between the Red Skull and the police officers. Yeah, it is It is kind of funny to me to see well, it's Captain America, but the Red Skull driving a car yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and escaping that way. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fun issue. I mean, you've got the car chase scene, you've got the, the Avengers um, yeah. who obviously don't believe him that he's Captain America. But uh, yeah, it's the it's, whole classic, it's not me, it's not me. And it, it follows all of the tropes that we know in this kind of a, a plot mm-hmm. situation. And it does it really, really well. And the whole time Captain America, or sorry, the Red Skull, who is is posing as Captain America, is watching it all through the cube. Um, What I found found really interesting is that Captain America makes his escape. He's walking down the street, and this woman says, or the the little girl says, Mom, isn't that Captain America? And, And her mom says, it certainly is, dear. Take a good look at him, child. That's one man with soul. And, and so he, he um, yeah, which is funny because this is an African-American family here saying that's one man with soul. Um, so he, he, the Red Skull, thinks to himself, so this is how it feels to be a hero. Mm-hmm. And he says, the adoration of the unthinking masses may be flattering to some, but as for me, it isn't their affection I want. It is their servitude. The strong alone must be master and all other slaves, just as the Fuhrer uh, decreed two decades ago. So that shows us that he's not simply trying to win over the masses. He still wants to control everybody. This is his, this is his game. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have those moments. And I think there's a couple more in the next, the next few issues of uh, Red Skull kind of, he he does take advantage a little bit of the, the situation and kind of enjoys the fame, but um, yeah, the, the menacing grin on his face the entire time uh, Captain America is pretty pretty fun to see and um and it, it definitely i don't know how familiar you are with ed rubaker's run but there's there's some similarities in terms of the the cosmic cube and and, and the use of that oh, and yeah. uh, uh you know restoring the memories and all that but um you know it, I, I do think it gets dragged on a little bit um in these issues uh i think red skull probably enjoys toying with him a little bit too much but um there's there's certainly some fun moments yeah it, it's interesting because it goes in a different direction now and we're going to meet a new character in the next issue. 
And Captain America is still in Red Skull's body, but that really isn't the plot anymore after mm-hmm. this issue. That's not, it, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, so it, it was, while they didn't resolve it, they keep that story going. It's interesting that they kind of, they do drop that aspect of it. So yeah, you want to go on to the next one? Sure. Uh, Captain America 117 is called The Coming of the Falcon. And uh, after being teleported to the Isle of the Exiles, uh, Captain America finally thinks of taking off the Red Skull's mask and ends up meeting a new character called the Falcon, who um, has been hired by the Exiles and is currently stuck on the island. He's not called the Falcon yet. No. I don't even think they call him Sam Wilson at this point. I think they introduce him formally in the next issue. But... That's right, yeah. Uh, so this, Sam Sam Wilson gets kind of more of an, a fleshed out origin story later, but he's one of these characters where, you know, if you asked me what's the origin of Captain America or Iron Man, I could tell you, but the origin of Falcon, I, I don't know what the origin of Falcon is. So this was kind of neat to, to see these issues and see how uh how they work together um in this one he just uh sam actually just saves cap's life mm-hmm. not knowing who he is because he looks like well he looks like i guess red skull under his mask that was actually another thing that i was surprised at that they they showed us his face i think this is the first time we see red skull's actual face and it's just kind of normal it's a little bit almost disappointing yeah and it does kind of weaken the the prior issues a little bit for me it kind of just makes me wonder why i mean obviously he didn't realize i think it's page 411 where he says hey i just realized something it's actually a mask <laughs> yeah, um, you couldn't tell <laughs> yeah you couldn't tell why you were being you know chased and fighting the avengers and everything it just kind of weakens a little bit of that for me but um, yeah or you couldn't tell that your face was like really sweaty on the inside of this probably rubber mask <laughs> Yeah, and, and he does he does kind of say, well, I'm I'm going to use some clay to change this face. Um, so I don't know that we still see technically the Red Skull's real face. It's yeah, a, right. a clay disguise apparently, Very but um, but yeah, I I don't think the Falcon uh, honestly has that great of an origin. He's just kind of there on the island uh, because a Falcon, you know, he 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 has a Falcon, um, and the and the <laughs> Exiles hired him. So it just kind of it just kind of seems slapped together a little bit. And maybe you know maybe they weren't intending for him to be um, quite such a long lived character. I don't know if. I'm sure there's been some some retcons um, throughout, you know, to kind of give his background more depth. But oh, yeah, there have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously his costume has changed for the better as the years have gone on. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's nice to see Sam show up and, and the, the final page here where he, you know, dresses up in his costume and they they say the Falcon. It's it's pretty neat to see. Yeah, you can tell that they are trying their hardest to make this guy kind of the next big thing mm-hmm. by really, really pumping him up. Um, in fact, the fact that Captain America isn't even Captain America in this issue, so we get a new hero. It's like, are we replacing Captain America already kind of a thing? Um, and uh, this this last panel where we see the Falcon in his new costume kind of revealed at once uh, is pretty much the same pose as the front cover. So the one commenter on, on Facebook who was like, the cover is kind of a silly cover. Um, I think they were just trying to keep, they wanted this iconic moment to be displayed on the front cover as well, but they also needed the villains and, and of course, Captain America, because it's his book. Yeah, what I really like about their interaction between these two is that this, we can really, really see why Captain America is is a symbol and an, and an idol because he inspires Sam to be a superhero and he's not even like he's not wearing his costume he doesn't tell Sam who he is but it's just his presence 
and the way he talks to people is just inspiring. And mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what he looks like. Yeah, he, he's great at, um, you know, there's the little subplot here of the, the rebels on the island. Um, but he, he, he doesn't take long to talk Sam into to dressing up and becoming a superhero. Yeah, and I love that. I just think, you know, Captain America isn't the costume. It's uh, it's Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. and it comes across even in this, in this situation here. It's very, very nice. I like it. Yeah, I mean, he, he does kind of, he calls it a gimmick, um, which seems a little uh, insulting, but he says, hey, you'll need a gimmick. You need, to, <laughs> yeah. you need to be a symbol, which is obviously um, something Cap knows well. So, And it, I guess that's contrary to what I was just saying as well, is Captain America is not a symbol, but he's telling Falcon that he needs a symbol, I guess just to maybe stand out or to, to make him shine above of anything else to prove himself or something. I'm not sure, but that, that is interesting. Well, I think, I mean, I think symbols can be, can be hollow or they can be meaningful. And, and, um, you know, obviously when there's someone like Steve Rogers behind the symbol, it, it means a lot. Um, yeah. and we've, we've seen plenty of false Captain Americas in these issues and right. the Red Skull right now. So I think, I think a symbol is what you make it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Captain America, number 118, the Falcon fights on, Oh, the last issue and this issue were inked by Joe Sinnott with both art by Gene Colan. Uh, Gene is is a good artist. I actually really like these issues here. We get a lot of, um, again, big panels, but he, what Gene is really great at is is placing his camera angles and then uh, and and choosing his light sources. So we will often get panels where the camera, the, you know, the theoretical camera is placed really low and we get a... Um, a lot of upshots, or he'll find the unique ways so that the panel isn't just boring, uh, straight-on kind of camera angles. And then he is a, he has a brilliant command of shadows. He knows exactly where to always place his, his shadows in his panels, and I, I, I really, really like his artwork. There was a period when I was first starting out in comics that I wasn't so keen on Gene Colan, but his stuff is really good, especially when he's inked here by Joe Sinnott. Good stuff. So this, this story here... Um, this is kind of a uh, uh, there, there, there's a lot going on. Uh, so let me see if I can boil it down here. The exiles are trying to find the Red Skull because they think that they're they're after him because the Red Skull betrayed him, not knowing that this is Steve Rogers. Um, meanwhile, Steve is training Sam and into how to be a good fighter, and that's uh, going to play up in the next issue as they come head to head with all of, or sorry, in this issue as they come head to head with all of the exiles. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Red Skull posing as Captain America is trying to discredit Captain America's name by just being a jerk to his fans. And this is where Red Skull's ego takes comes into play because he could easily just do whatever he wanted because he has the freaking cosmic cube. But instead <laughs> he's like, nah, I'm going to make Captain America look like a moron by spouting off my mouth in front of his friends. <laughs> it's like... I think the Red Skull should have uh, placed more importance on the greater mission, but he was too much of an egoist to uh, to do to do that. Yeah, it, I mean, we've seen him in the past couple issues, kind of as Captain America tossing around the cube um, carelessly, and he just it kind of gets uh, a little out of control here. And we also, on top of all that, um, we have another glimpse of uh, of Aim and Modok um, trying to. Uh, 
right to get the cube back and it's kind of which feels a little out of place i mean it, it's just i think they've it's been one or two pages so far in these issues um but it does it does pay off eventually sort of i mean i think that's kind of what we call a deus ex machina where right. the problem is solved by just something that's out of the control of the, the main characters here it's kind of dumb i think at the end and that's in the next issue so maybe we'll save that for the next issue this is the one where we see the last of Rick here in issue 118, yeah, um, yeah, where right. he, uh, you know, he says, "So I'm, I'm done." Um, you know, Captain America or Red Skull just ignored him, and uh, they say, "Well, go, go check out Cap- Captain Marvel uh, issue 17 if you want to see more of Rick." Yeah, and so that's going to be actually he stays in Captain Marvel for a long, long time. He has a way better career over there. I don't know if you call it better. It's actually kind of um, not great for Rick there either, but um, but yeah, he he becomes a regular character over in Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah, Gene Colan is really, really good at these, these action scenes, and I love the work that he does on, let's see, page 438, on page 16 of the story, where, I guess, Chang pulls up a gun, and it's mm-hmm. like he's got some great uh, foreshortening on the on the gun there, and he has, he pulls it up over his face, and the, the, the dynamic pose of, oh, man, what's the guy with the, with the metal arm? I can't remember his name. It's not Krusty. <laughs> it's, uh... Iron Hand Hoptman. Oh, yeah, Iron Hand. How could I not <laughs> remember that? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this – I love it. They they take on these these guys, and it reminds me of earlier in this volume when Captain America and Black Panther are fighting, and they, like, they work so well as a team because Captain America is a good leader, and, uh, and, and Sam Wilson is proving himself to be very uh, intuitive. He knows how to, 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 to play to Cap's strengths, and based on, I guess, what Captain America was teaching him as well. So, yeah, good, a good battle at the end here. And I can't yeah. remember, is this the last we see of the Exiles? I think it is. Um, and I was just going to say, we'll see a lot of uh, Gene Colan in Volume 3, so I, I'm, I'm glad you like him. Yeah, good. What are your thoughts? Do you like him? Yeah, I do. I, I don't think he kind. I don't think he stands out to me as much as the other artists in the book. Right. Um, Certainly not. You know, there's not that individuality, but like you said, there's there's a lot of solid framing, and he does he does uh, mess with the panel layout um, and make that a little bit more exciting than than Kirby for sure. But yeah, I, I've always respected Gene Colan, but I've never I would never say I'm a big fan. Um, just kind of just kind of more along the the average lines to yeah. me. Well, in the next volume, I know that he gets inked by Dan Adkins, and that actually takes away a lot of the the stuff that I like about Gene Colan. So we'll mm-hmm. have to talk about that when we get there because it's not it's not as great as Joe Sinnott here inking him. Um, yeah. So the last issue of the book, issue one nineteen, is titled "Now Falls the Skull," and uh, and finally getting frustrated, uh, the Red Skull transports Captain America and the Falcon to his castle and transforms everyone back to their normal selves and a battle for the cube begins and finally we see the results of modok's plan to get the cube back so this is classic villain actually he red skull does a classic villain stuff all the time in in these ones one of them is like i don't need to see the exiles finish off captain america i'm Mm -hmm. just gonna just not watch that turns away and then another one is like i can't kill captain america when he looks like me he needs to look like himself so that he understands the meaning of defeat and so he turns captain america back into captain america and there you go shield and all i don't understand also if if you can change him back just don't give him his big weapon (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it does feel very um, kind of radio drama esque, I guess. For sure. The, yeah, I think you're just not supposed to think and, about it. Yeah, it, you know, it's definitely uh, James Bond explaining, you know, James Bond villain explaining the plan and and uh, making it too easy to escape kind of thing. But um, you know, you got to get all the pieces back together. You have to have them back to the way they were. Um, and it, it is nice to see. Steve Falcon's reaction to realizing who he's been working with the whole time. Yeah. Now in this one, in this issue, we also get a couple of pages of, is this the one with Modoc's backstory? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Modoc mm-hmm. out of nowhere, Modoc decides to explain how he survived the events of tales of suspense. Number 94, when we think he dies and it's, it's a terrible explanation. <laughs> And really, like I said before, Modoc serves no purpose here. The only thing happens, the only thing that happens of any interest or any no- note is that the cosmic cube melts at the end of the issue, which our heroes never find out who did it or why it happened. It just happens. No, they just kind of think they're lucky stars and say, "Well, I don't know how we did that, but yeah. uh, but with a little help from fate." It's 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 unsatisfying. It's just, I mean, you you have a few pages in the prior issues uh, of AIM and Modoc, just kind of plotting, but it doesn't really connect for me. Yeah, me neither. At least on the other one where he like where it dropped into the bottom of the sea or something like that. Like it that was mm-hmm. that's better, I think, <laughs> in a sense. But yeah, so I'm hoping that, I mean, I haven't read these next issues, so we'll have to see. Maybe Modoc comes back with another cube or, I don't know, something happens. We'll have to see. You've read these issues, so you know if that happens or not. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, I, re- I read them when the Epic Collection first came out, so I'm, I'm due for another reread before we discuss them. But um, yeah, I would say, you know, this, this sequence, uh, there's a lot of great moments in the, the body change story or the body switch story. Yeah. But um, I, I, if I'm comparing it to some of the earlier Kirby arcs from this collection I'd got to go with you know like the sleeper or the uh, um, some of the other stories that he wrote in there uh, with the the fake Captain America that kind of thing um, in terms of just just comparing the two I think I think the Starenko sequence stands out obviously for me but um, but it, it, there's some great moments I just don't think a lot of the secret identity stuff and the cosmic cube stuff really really uh, sinks home as much as it should I think that's also just kind of a, the nature of 1960s comics as well. Right. Uh, and so we have to take that uh, in stride. But I, yeah, I thought, you know, as a whole, this, this book is very enjoyable. Uh, and I said it before, I, the, the, I found the first volume, to, while it had its exciting moments, it seemed redundant and it was a little bit of a drag. So to have the action and the story kind of just the pacing ramp up a bit, have the stakes a little bit higher. I think that I enjoyed this volume as a whole uh, quite a bit. I, I liked it. I did too. I, I you know, I think um, if you're buying the book, expecting to see a lot of Falcon, you'll be disappointed given that he's on the cover. Um, that's true. Yeah. But you know, obviously that's, that's something in the, in later volumes that you'll get a lot of, but um, I don't think you can go wrong with, with Kirby and Steranko and, uh, Colin and Busema, I think I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. Totally, and and there's there's some good extras too. Um, That's true. The the not brand Eck issue and uh, and a lot of a lot of good uh, original art packed in here. Yeah, so the not brand Eck issue is is pretty funny. You have to kind of really put yourself in the mindset of 1969 to understand all of the pop culture references because it's basically like an issue of Mad Magazine. If you are not really 
in you if you were not totally invested in the era, you would not understand pretty much any of this. Uh, and so I actually did um, a podcast episode on this issue of Not Brand Eck, uh, number two or number three. Mm-hmm. And um, or have I done an issue, uh, an episode on this? I know that I've, I'm pretty sure I did. But anyway, um, yeah, you you just really really need to know all a lot about the the political figures of the time, or you know what movies were out, or what people were listening to in music, and <laughs> to really understand all of the references. Because if you just look at it. At face value, with the goofy drawings or whatever, I think a lot of people get turned off by it. But it's actually pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the line of um, you know those Mad Magazine or Cracked kind of uh, yeah. parodies, and it's just a yeah, it's a lot of pop culture um, references. Uh, there's a bunch of bonus uh, like original art pages, photo stats, and and original art, and there's some really cool stuff in here. Uh, covers that are have been changed. Like the cover to one ninety eight says Black Panther mm-hmm. at the bottom, and the 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 final version says Panther. I didn't realize that on the cover of number one hundred, there's actually a shadow of Baron Zemo in behind all of those characters that was taken out to kind of clean up the look of the cover. So that's kind of neat. Um, I would have loved to see some of Starenko's art in here, but. Uh, there's actually no Starenko original art in this book at all. It's all the Colin stuff or or Kirby stuff. Yeah, and I do like I do like some of the notes that we get to on the on the uh, borders of the pages. Just you know, it's it's funny to think of someone giving notes to to Kirby, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or or to Stan. But um, yeah, there's there's some really neat glimpses into the process here. Yeah, it's it's very nice. It's always appreciated when they throw in stuff like this. And and I honestly think the cover uh, rough or or sketch um, is is gorgeous. The John Romita one of issue one fourteen. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, being colored in and it just you can almost use that as a cover by itself. Yeah, I I really like the the color. Yeah, the color rough. Because it's just, it looks like it's just marker, mm-hmm. but it's got such a nice style to it because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, it's, it's, it is, it's rough. They call it rough and it really is, but it looks awesome. Okay, that is our episode for today. We're going to continue on with our Captain America journey and go right into um, epic number three, which is called Bucky Reborn. Now, this epic is now kind of hard to find, so hopefully you have a copy, but if you don't, you'll have to, you know, read it on, read the issues on Marvel Unlimited or check it out on Comixology or something like that, um, or I'm sure there are Captain America omnibuses you could buy. But uh, we're going to take a break over Christmas, so we won't have any episodes for the next couple of weeks, but we'll be back in the new year with uh, some more Captain America with our buddy Drew. Yeah, thanks for having me, Curtis, and I I can't wait to talk about those issues. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about them as well. So uh, all of you who are listening, I hope you get some good reading time in over the holidays, and we'll see you next time.